talking about the uncontrollable sin and um, just to review a little bit, just to kind of to see where we've been as we think about exploring the root of coveting. To covet means to delight in something. And as we've seen, the word is neutral. It, it's positive or negative depending on what you delight in. That's what coveting means, to delight. And what it says is, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When we take light in what belongs to our neighbor, we cross the line that is demarked by the 10th covenant, the 10th commandment. We have noticed two things with respect to coveting. Number one is that coveting counts. Um, Jesus made coveting count again. As we can imagine, it's very difficult to control behavior. It's almost impossible to control thoughts. And that's why it was kind of brushed aside until Jesus dusted it off, took it off the shelf, and put it in a prominent place again. He would not let it be dismissed. He said, coveting counts. And so what he ended up saying, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Murder is an act. And everybody abided by that. They understood why that would be. But he didn't just stop it at the level of act. He went back to the attitudes and thoughts that would come before. And that's why he said, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. That reflects putting the 10th commandment back in place. It's not just what we do, it's what we think and what we feel. He said the same thing with respect to adultery. You've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if we control our behavior, be it murder or adultery, but we don't control our thoughts, we are placed in the same line as someone who committed adultery or murder, as somebody who's violated the Ten Commandments. Coveting counts, that's what Jesus indicated, and before we talk about the solution, we've just got to kind of figure out what the challenge is. He said, not only does coveting counts, but coveting is uncontrollable. It's uncontrollable. And Paul's the one who kind of observes something that feels surprising. And it's um, it really is startling when you look at it. Uh, he said, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire for apart from law, sin is dead. This is an important thing. We've talked about this before, but to really gauge what this is saying, it's very surprising. I told you before, when I was in the fourth or fifth grade, we used to chew this gum and we chew this blue gum, and it would identify cavities. So I, they don't do this anymore, I don't think. Uh, so anyways, you chew the gum, and then the teacher looks into your mouth, and, and she, okay, I see some blue there, so you better go home and tell your mom, i got to get you to the dentist. Um, the, the law isn't just like the blue gum, 
that identifies cavities, the law would be like gum that actually produces them. You know, so here, you chew this gum, and if you don't have a cavity, this blue gum is going to cause cavities. No, that's not what it did. But the principle of the law, it doesn't just identify the problems that exist. It creates them. And that's the thing that we need to see. The law stimulates the very behaviors it prohibits. This is especially true about coveting. If you try to stamp down coveting in order to be acceptable to God, you will find a surge of covetous desires. That's what Paul ended up saying. Trying to control coveting causes it to be more powerful if you're trying to do so to make God happy. It's like pouring water on a grease fire. Coveting is difficult to manage. It's like a very virulent weed that grows everywhere. Um, I, my folks live on a wooded lot, and we have a lot of bittersweet. Everybody know what bittersweet is like? That viney stuff that twirls around the trees and, and strangles things. And, and when I'm back there, I, I have my annual, not semi-annual battle with those weeds, and I pull them out of the trees. They just grow everywhere. Coveting is like that. And it, it doesn't, it grows in places where we would imagine that would have grown. The Garden of Eden. Coveting grew up like bittersweet there in a place they had everything they wanted. They had a perfect environment. There was no sin there yet. And coveting was able to grow up in that environment. And can I suggest we don't live in a perfect environment? If coveting grew up in the Garden of Eden, we're, it's going to grow up in our house. It's going to grow up in our minds and our thoughts. What we find, though, when Eve lost confidence in God, her covenant increased. I would suggest it's like a teeter-totter, like a seesaw. Put confidence in God on one side and covetous desires on another. As confidence in God increases, covetous thoughts decrease. When confidence in God decreases, Covetous thoughts increase. Isn't that what we find in the Garden of Eden? What the serpent said, uh, you know what? You won't surely die. God doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. You can't be confident in God. And as Eve's confidence decreased, her coveting increased. This is We're going to talk about the root of coveting again next week, and we might go from there, I think we will go to look at five steps to deal with it beginning in the first week in June. And then we're going to try to identify steps that we could take to deal with coveting. But as we think about the root of coveting, um, what we see is that coveting is, again, related. It's coveting. We talked about coveting is fearful hunger. When our Confidence that God will meet our needs decreases. We're going to find ourselves being more desperate to have what we want and think what we want and, and do what we want. Um, well, let's dig a little deeper. There is a passage in James that talks about the roots of coveting. Let's look at that together. Uh, James starts out with a question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? 
again, I, I love this passage. Uh, very practical, very, very practical for the times we live in. Very. What causes fights and quarrels among you? If we indicated that, would you agree that there's a lot of fights and quarrels among us? Yeah, probably more so with respect to different things, pandemic related and not. But at any rate, there's a lot of polarization. What causes fights and quarrels among you? If I were to ask that, what kind of answers would come up? What do you think? What causes fights and quarrels among us? Uh, we would point to government and we'd point to politics. We might point to the pandemic. We might point to this, that, and the other. Look where James points. Um, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? We tend to point the finger outward. James doesn't point it outward, he points it inward. And he says, and your desires, the word desires is literally pleasures. So what he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is, and what James says, it comes from your pleasures, my pleasures, that battle within us. What he says, you want something. You want something. But don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want, so you quarrel and fight. What causes fights and quarrels? What James is saying, it's warring pleasures. Our pleasures battle within us. And I think he's suggesting that our pleasures don't line up. We want this and we want that. The problem is, when we satisfy our desire for this, we don't satisfy our desire for that. And we satisfy our desire for that, we don't satisfy our desire for this. Our desires are at war. Our desires do not line up. Our pleasures don't line up. If we were pleased with one sort of thing, we could live for pleasure and we could be okay. If we live for pleasure, though, and our pleasures go this way, do you see the problem? If we live for pleasure and our pleasures are at war, then we are going to live at war. Does that make sense? If we live for pleasure and our pleasures are at war, we will be at war within ourselves. And it's not because you're bad. It's because our pleasures go this way. <laughs> like the Scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz. What would please you? This one. <laughs> and so that's the problem it suggests. Our pleasures war within us. If we, gratify, if we gratify some, we frustrate others. It doesn't seem that this is up for debate. You might say, it's not true for me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's true for all of us. What we tend to do is point the finger outward when really the root thing is inward. And so what do we do about that? Um, it's important to understand that um, this is not just true of sec secular desires. You know what I mean? Like for a better house or secular things. Our pleasures point spiritually in different directions. Look what Paul says. We've seen this before. 
I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Randy talked about dividedness. And this is what Paul is describing. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. So what it says, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Well, Paul experienced this when he was thinking about what God wanted. In his inner being, somewhere in him, there was a resonance. Yes, yes, this is what I want. This is, yes, yes. And when he heard the law of God, there was a voice in him that resonated with it. Yes, yes. But that's not the only voice he heard. What he goes on to say, I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. So what Paul got, there was a yes inside, a resonance, but there was something else. There was a no. There was a dissonance. The law of God produced both resonance and dissonance. Which one of those was Paul? Both of them. That's the issue. Our pleasures, secular and sacred, they don't just point in one direction. Would you agree with me? That would cause for fighting. You know what we end up doing? We end up assuming the problem is with someone else when the problem kind of is inside. Uh, when our desires are frustrated, we don't recognize that the problem is that our desires don't line up. And you know what we end up doing? Well, you know, you've seen this thing. When you, when you point a finger out, how many point, fingers are pointing in? You know, and that's the issue. Um, what we do is when our desires are frustrated, rather than recognize it as something inside, we point a finger and we blame. Look what James says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. What does it mean to be a friend of the world? It, it's, it doesn't, it's not just about having a job or liking this or liking that. The world is governed by, you deserve to be pleased. That's what runs the world. Get what pleases you. Get rid of what displeases you. Do you see the problem with that philosophy? If what pleases me is at war, then that's not going to work, is it? It's, being pleased is, is harder to do than we might imagine because our pleasures don't line up. That's what James is, is indicating. But we react by blaming anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason? that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. There is a word that talks about intense envy. Let me tell you what intense envy looks like. We get it from right on the heels of where coveting came in the Garden of Eden. Then Eve gave birth to Cain and Abel. Right on the heels of covetous desire, we see bitter envy. And here's what we find. Abel kept flocks. 
and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. He said, here, God, here's what I'm giving you, and I ask that you would accept this as an offering. He was trying to appeal to God to be accepted by him. He didn't want a bunch of money. He wanted God's approval. Um, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain on, and his offering, he did not look with favor. The Bible doesn't tell us why. All it says is God says yes to Abel and no to Cain. And Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. That's where it starts. Um, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin is more a power than an act in the Bible. And it has to do with coveting, because that's where it starts. Um, now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. That's what intense envy is. Simple envy is Cain wanting to be accepted like his brother was. But when that is allowed to marinate and stew, it becomes something more. It turns from regular envy to intense envy. You might think of it as when you get a mosquito bite. You know what they say, don't scratch it, it will get infected. You know, so you've got a mosquito bite, then you scratch it. You know, we're going to have to deal with that coming up. Um, and, but then it becomes something else. And what, that's what is uh, kind of the same thing with zeal. There's regular zeal, and then it becomes infected envy, intense envy. Not only did Cain then want what Abel had. He wanted to hurt Cain. He blamed him. And that's what seems to happen. When we don't get what we want, we blame somebody. I should be able to be pleased. And we can point our finger in several different directions. It's my fault. If I was a better person, if I was a better mate, if I was a better this, a better that, I could have what I want. Some of us don't point the finger inside, we point it outside. If I had a different husband, different wife, different kid, different government, different this, that, or the other, or some point towards God, in any sense, we, we blame, and this is bitter envy. Um, what causes fights and quarrels? James answers the question. Here's what it seems to be. We want something. We crave it. Craving. We want what we want. Craving, when it is unfulfilled, turns into contempt, bitter envy. We get mad at ourselves and mad at others. Craving, contempt, then that leads to conflict. Craving, contempt, conflict. Craving, contempt, conflict, craving, contempt, conflict becomes a whirlpool and it pulls us in and it's very difficult to get out because the 
energy for it isn't just on the outside, it's on the inside. What do we do with this? What's the solution? What's the solution? We're going to talk about two. We're going to talk about more next week and in upcoming weeks. Let's identify a couple of things. Uh, number one, um, we're going to recognize the problem. Here's what Paul came to. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. But in the flesh, it says sinful nature, flesh is, the, is probably a better translation. In my mind, I'm a slave to God's law. In the flesh, a slave to the law of sin. You know what Paul recognized about himself? That he was identical twins. That he was... He didn't just want what God wanted. I'm going to say something. Um, it is not possible for us to get what we want to have. We can get some of what we have, but not fully. Not possible. Because you know what we want to have? This. It's not possible for us to do what we want to do. You know why? Because we want to do this. It's not possible for us to think what we want to think because we want to think this. It doesn't mean that we never are satisfied, but it's not possible for us to be completely... It's not possible for us to feel what we want to feel. We want to feel this. We cannot, in an absolute sense, have what we want to have, do what we want to do, think what we want to think, and feel what we want to feel. What I would suggest... Let's recognize that she is not the problem. He is not the problem. Ultimately, government is not the problem. Now, they are, certainly it has something to do with it. What James says, it's the desires, the warring pleasures, and the bitter envy. That's the issue. If you want to get to the root of the problem, that's how to get to the root. We're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. Thoreau said, for every thousand people whacking away at the leaves of evil, there's one person striking at the root. What my desire is as we go on into the series is we learn to strike at the root of coveting rather than try to clip off the leaves of it. If you strike at the root of something, the leaves take care of themselves. That's what we tend to do. We tend to deal with the leaves of evil. Try to clip off this behavior or that behavior. Try to change that act or this act. And you know what we're ignoring? The root of the issue. The root of the issue. Warring pleasures. Bitter envy. And we're going to talk about how to deal with those things. James has another thing, and we're not going to spend a lot of time. It might seem kind of odd, but in his passage, here's what James said. After he's talked about warring pleasures and bitter envy, he has a suggestion. And this is it. Sounds <coughs> grieve, mourn, and wail. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Remember what it says? Paul says, what a wretched man I am. That word wretched, that's not despicable. He's not saying, what a despicable person I am. You know what he's saying? What a miserable person I am. He's, 
You know, the word wretched is a word that means grief. What Paul comes to do, he comes to touch the reality of the struggle within him. And you know what he does with it? He feels sad about it. Now, that seems odd. Seems odd. But at some point, when there is a difficult circumstance, would you agree with me? Grief is an appropriate response. It doesn't mean that there's no hope. It means that, well, what Paul says, what a wretched man I am. God, I... That's interesting. You know who he expressed his grief to? God. What would happen? Rather than blame ourselves or blame others for the conflict within us, we learn to call out to God in our grief. God, help me. I want to do this and that. I feel miserable. I feel divided. I feel like two separate people. But I see that Paul felt that way. And I see that James talks about it. I guess, God, I come to you. Could you help me? That's what James comes to. Would you agree with me that sad is hard to touch? It's hard to do sad. Easier to do mad, isn't it? Isn't mad easier than sad? Isn't glad easier than sad? Isn't bad easier than sad? You know what we do? We use mad, bad, and glad to bury sad. It's hard to touch sad alone. What God wants you to do is touch your frustrated desires and touch his hand at the same time. Because you know what? Jesus understands disparate desires. He wanted to die, and he didn't. And if you reach out to him with your disparate desires, you know what you'll find Jesus saying? I know exactly how you feel. You know the reason why we can't touch sad? Because it makes us feel too alone. Don't touch your sadness alone. Touch it. Jesus sympathizes and the Father is sovereign. And you can touch that. We'll talk about that in upcoming week. I really liked, as we close, Mark's outline for last week. I think he, I think he nailed it. Uh, we can't satisfy our desires. Instant gratification won't work. You can't satisfy desires that run in two different directions. Uh, we will different things, not just one thing. It leads to separation and fear. It leads to pointing fingers in conflict. We can't silence our desires. We can try for a period of time. We can get them, but they always come out, don't they? Well, if you push them down, they come out sideways. You ever done that? You know, you didn't deal with something and you felt kind of lousy about it, and then one of the kids comes up, or your wife asks you questions, shut up! You know, I mean, it ends up zipping out sideways. Of course, you've never done that. Um, some of us don't do it at others. We, 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 we yell at ourselves. And um, we try to, denying gratification doesn't work. Instant gratification doesn't work. We can't satisfy. We can't silence either because our desires are too strong. We can't suppress or medicate them. It leads to hypocrisy. When we do that, we try to push them down and we pretend that we don't have them. 
and we point our finger at others and say, boy, look at that person, he feels this. And the reason why we point our finger is kind of be push it down on ourselves. Uh, leads to hypocrisy and judgment. We must like soothe our desires, delay gratification. How do you do that? That's what we're going to talk about. It involves recognizing the problem. Warring pleasures inside of us and bitter envy when we don't get what we want. Learn to touch those realities and touch God's hand at the same time rather than suppress our unfulfilled desires rather than suppress them, learn to express them this way. That is going to allow us to, to touch them and to not feel wonderful, but it's a lot easier to deal with frustration when you're not alone in it. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, what you tell us is in our frustration, you don't desire for us to focus on correction. You don't. Because we can't correct coveting. We can't. We can't fix it. The more we try to fix it, the, the more problematic it becomes. You're not telling us to correct. You're telling us connect. To seek companionship and others to seek wisdom from you connect in the frustration. Don't focus on correction. It's connection, then correction. In the context of connection, then we can start to look at things and, and adjust this and that. But it's, we tend to focus on correction when the deep issue is we feel so alone and frustrated when we don't have what we want. Thank you that Jesus came and he understands that. And he wants to connect with us and our frustration in order to teach us to manage it as he did. In Jesus' name, amen.